always blown away by my guests' honesty and openness to talk about their stories, you know, and the struggles they've been through, how they've overcome them, the impacts it's had on their lives and their families as well. You know, the Struggling Mind podcast is just a space where they can have that time to give their version of events and talk about what's been going on. It's a chance for them to pass on some insight and pass on some knowledge to people that may be going through the same things. There is swearing in these episodes and please, please be mindful that there may be some triggers in some of the subjects that we've spoken about as well. Welcome to this week's episode of the Struggling Mind podcast with me, Lee Anderson. My guest today is Marcus. Marcus, how are you feeling? Good, mate. Thank you for having me today. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. Do you want to just give yourself a bit of an intro? Uh, yeah. Essentially, I'm an ex-bulimic B-grade rock star who is now a nutrition coach specializing in um, men who are struggling with what we might call disordered eating, but essentially men who are struggling navigating the world of dieting. Excellent. Thank you. I, I, as we were saying just before, um, I started following you because I watched you on an Instagram live and you started talking about stuff that I believe isn't highlighted enough in regards to men and dieting and food habits and, and, mm. and stuff like that. Um, before we get into that, what I like to do is just to calm my nerves and get in balance with my excitement is ask my guests three questions, random uh -huh. questions about themselves. Um, sure. are, are you up for that? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right. So question one, if you could keep three apps on your phone, what three would you keep and why? Wow, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Instagram, because obviously I do most of my work. Uh, through that, I'd keep my guitar tuner because I like having a guitar tuner on my phone. That's very handy. And I guess my clock with all my alarms and all the different time zones and, and everything like that because I run my life off that. Okay. So what about Spotify or Apple Music? Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about Apple Music. Uh yeah, I'd probably have to refine that to be Instagram, Apple Music, and oh, now I've just remembered audiobooks as well. Oh, come on, man. This is a really hard... All right. Uh, <laughs> Apple Music, audiobooks, and probably Instagram. I'd have to buy a separate guitar tuner. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just hope you don't shop online with online banking because you'll be buggered. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I can do that on my computer. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> See how difficult that is? Very, very difficult. It's really telling about a person as well, what they actually gravitate to. And then once you give them something to think about, they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. That life mm. is actually one from the phone. You know, it's really yeah. hard. So second question, what's your favourite sandwich? Favourite sandwich. You know what? something to touch on what we might end up talking about. I was anti-carbs for so many years that basically any sandwich is, can I swear? Yeah. Is yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I guess obviously I'm not anti-carbs now. Uh, we live and we learn. I'm a big carb fan. But yeah, to be honest, I was so heavy into the low carb or anti-carb lifestyle for so long that you give me any sandwich now, I'm going to be stoked. But if I had to choose like that classic, um, like egg and cress, like a really nice, like egg and cress sandwich or yeah, that's, that's kind of like my service station sandwich go-to choice. All right. So just to kind of give a bit more content, are we talking brown bread? Are we talking egg mayonnaise? Uh, we're talking white bread. I don't really fuss over getting brown bread um all that much uh no special mayonnaise just the bread's got to be fresh you know like yeah, yeah, bread's yeah. got to be fresh that's the most important thing whether it's white or brown or seeded or whatever the bread's got to be fresh um and it's got to have no little frozen bits around the back you know <laughs> <laughs> it's got a burst back ability when you squeeze it, it yeah yeah 
to be honest, my sandwich criteria is now that I say it out loud, <laughs> the bar's kind of low. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it, mate. And last question is um, what would be your superpower and why? I'm a huge like Marvel comics fan. So I've spent a lot of time waiting for someone to ask me this question. Mm. I've got to say, if I had to choose, as far as practicality, I would want the psychic ability. Like, you know, we think Charles Xavier from X-Men. Yeah. Um, it would be a difficult one to manage, but pretty much if you nail that down, you don't need any of the others. Like <laughs> some of the others might be a bit more, I don't know, a bit more macho and a bit cooler, like being indestructible or being out of fly or whatever. But, you know, if we're thinking tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up with a superpower and get to use that for the rest of my life it's going to be the uh the charles xavier from x-men i think that's going to be the most useful excellent excellent at least you didn't pick wolverine because he's mine oh dude i'm a big fan huge fan love it love it love it um marcus listen first of all mate thank you for joining me on the podcast i really really appreciate it i have a list of things that i want to ask you but i don't want it to turn into like a q a thing i just want to flow oh, man, whatever you like um but i just, I just think the, the points that i've picked out are quite important because you're going to help me understand a lot more than I do. And you're probably okay. going to teach me about myself as well, which I like. Um, so tell me about what it is to be into, how did you get into studying, coaching, helping people with eating disorders? Essentially, it was about a 10-year process of pulling on threads, looking for the origin of different problems and challenges. Um, I've always done kind of I've always been interested and passionate about music and the health and fitness industry kind of side by side at different points in my life um, I've done music full-time and then at other points I've I've been health and fitness industry full-time uh, though the fitness industry and that like kind of health industry has been a constant ever since I was at school uh, and that the first kind of job I got into the first thing I went to study was remedial massage therapy because I was looking at going from remedial massage therapy to physiotherapy and doing that kind of thing. So I decided I didn't like study all that much. I didn't like formal education and universities all that much. Um, so I left university with my diploma in remedial massage and sports massage, started working with people uh, in a commercial gym and after doing that job for a while and seeing their kind of injuries and pain and dysfunction that people were struggling with, I thought, you know what? So many of these things wouldn't be a problem for people. They wouldn't need to be going to massage therapists and physios so much if they knew how to take better care of their bodies. So from there, I qualified as a um, personal trainer, upskilled to be a what we call a rehab trainer, which is essentially a personal trainer that's upskilled to the point of being able to bridge the gap between regular PT and physiotherapy. So it's kind of like, yeah, it, it's right in the middle there, bridges that gap. And I kept working with that. But then so many of the people coming to me were always asking about weight loss, weight loss this, weight loss that, how do I lose weight? And it's just this constant thing. So obviously being in a commercial gym, I had to answer people's questions about that. I had to cater to that. And obviously from there, we, we realized that most of that is about food. And my journey into nutrition coaching really highlighted the fact that most people can blast through a week of, of decent workouts. You know, they can get their workout program done. At the very least, you know, we can go for walks. We can move our body. We can do all this kind of stuff. But when it comes to our food choices, everything seems to fall apart so quickly. And something that I was giving myself a hard time about for many years and something that I noticed in my clients as well was that I was working with people who were super intelligent people. Like one of my clients at one stage was one of Melbourne's leading heart and lung surgeons. Like I was frequently working with, with surgeons, with doctors, with very well-established business people as well, like, you know, police officers, bus drivers, full-time parents, like, you know, and 
the, these people are, are really bright people, really intelligent, really bright, really switched on people. And they were all struggling with the same thing. At the end of the day, the simple choice of choosing one food over another, one food that favored their long-term goals versus another food that favored how they felt in the moment, that choice just became exceptionally hard. And I found that for myself as well. As we go through different moods, we crave different foods and we can feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at some points when it comes to food. And that I just got obsessed with that question. What is it that makes that so hard? Why are there so many bright, intelligent, wonderful people out there who can do, who show extreme amounts of discipline and dedication in other areas of their life? But when it comes to food, the wheels fall off. And becoming a bit obsessed with that question in the name of finding answers, not just for myself, but for my clients as well. That's what led me to where I am now. And so what was it that you started to discover about the relationship that people had with food or, or dieting in regards to food? Partly that the commercial diet industry has a lot to answer for. Okay. Um, one of the main things about, you know, that the dieting industry is obviously our perception of what we need to be physically is heavily influenced by obviously things like Hollywood and the images that the diet and fitness industry put out there constantly. But something about most commercial diets is that they don't work for most people because they focus on the wrong things. And especially, you know, when it comes to the diet industry, a lot of companies and a lot of individuals focus on quote solutions that aren't real solutions, but are, I guess, able to be mass produced and replicated and given to a lot of people rather than something that, you know, might have to deal with one person and one person's uh, uniqueness. Yeah. And, you know, I think what you said a couple of times was the word commercial. So therefore mm. generally, this yeah. will appeal to you, but there is no underlying saying it may not. Um, yeah. and, and, and diets. So there was a, there was a post that you put out not so long ago about diets and patterns and mm -hmm. your body forming patterns, but as not not staying long enough with the diets to allow our bodies to form those patterns. Mm -hmm. And that really pricks my ears because I think I commented with, you know, our brain looks for patterns. It looks for patterns of behavior. And therefore, yeah. if you give it long enough, it will formulate that pattern. Therefore, it starts to look for it. But yet, you never really think about it when it comes to your body and, and diets. And mm. I've tried a couple of diets, um, just purely from a more vanity point of view. But never oh, likewise, really... Likewise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but never really looked at it as, and it's always been, I'm going on holiday in a couple of weeks, therefore what yeah. I'll do is just starve myself or I'll cut these elements out. Yeah. But it was never for a long-term benefit. It was just a short-term fix. Mm -hmm. But I never realized the impact it would have on me physically and mentally, and I suppose emotionally as well. Absolutely. And, um, but that really struck me was, was your body looking for those patterns when it comes to, when it comes to diets and that, and obviously one diet doesn't suit all, how do you find what is right for an individual in regards to them wanting to lose weight? Ooh, firstly, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> 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 I ask a lot of questions, uh, but, you know, to, to boil it down to two really fundamental basics, there's the physiological requirements. So what the body requires, yeah. and then there's the, the brain, then there's the mental game, the mindset. I don't like to use the word mindset too much because it gets thrown around the, the kind of, it gets thrown around in coaching culture a little bit too much and it's starting to get on my nerves, but um essentially the mental game is is one part of it and then there's the um the physiological side so firstly we need to establish whether or not someone who's looking to lose weight is in a position physiologically to do so successfully like that's really important and secondly we need to look at someone's mentality surrounding food surrounding how their subconscious relates to food what internal patterns are there and from there 
we can start to formulate a bit of a, a game plan. Mm, I totally get that. Because it, it, it's like working with a client that they'll come with a problem, but that isn't their problem. You know, it's normally something that's secondary. So I'm, I'm from what you're saying, it's people that want to lose weight. It might not be for the right reasons. Sometimes no, sometimes yes. It's a, it's, it's a really funny subject because... Of course, now with um, body positivity, healthy at every size, we're, we're becoming a lot more three-dimensional, a lot more educated in terms of how we look at these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're almost going through a phase where anyone who wants to lose weight is sometimes being a bit, they're getting grilled about it. Like, so why do you want to lose weight? And it's like, whoa come on just like i just want to lose some weight like you know so it's it's a really interesting one when we look at the reasons behind certain things because sometimes it can sometimes weight and our relationship with food can kind of swing one way or the other because of deeper reasoning and other times it can be as simple as just a, a certain pattern that's been going on for a certain amount of time that we just need to break and, and interfere with in, in very specific ways yeah i totally get that um so i want to kind of swing it to more male body looks issues mm-hmm. yeah because as i said before i think that's something that's kind of relatively new to me in regards to seeing people and hearing people talk about it sure because you know toxic masculinity plays a lot in the way that we view ourselves in comparison mm-hmm. to others and yeah. it always becomes quite difficult because there's always a certain type or a certain look and we don't all fit the same type no. but yet we try to shoehorn ourselves into that and then what we do then is we don't really see us mm. and we kind of live in this kind of facade of a world that that really is never one thing or another and we just get totally lost in it all um mm. And so I want to kind of dip into the eating habits and eating disorders in regards to men. So I read on your thing, it was like one in three or three quarters of eating disorders are are, are with men. Is that right? At this stage, uh, most research suggests that one in three cases of eating disorders are actually male. Yes. And what's, what's the sort of catalyst for that? One in particular could be what we call the Adonis complex, which is, um, it's, it's actually a, a defined term. What is it? Uh, Professor Harrison G. Pope, he's one of the world's leading experts in male body image, actually kind of coined this phrase in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it talks about how boys and young men are subjected to all these images of what we might call hypermasculine like images uh the classic example is if you take like you remember like the gi joe dolls like the gi joe like action figures um if you look at one of those from the say 60s or 70s then the 80s then the 90s these action figures that young boys are playing with are getting progressively more jacked every single decade (laughs) and then and and, you know and it doesn't come and it doesn't just come down to the action figures or the toys or the cartoons that that young boys are seeing it's like men don't talk about it and don't have open conversations about it in the same way that that women have started to over the last 20 or 30 years yeah we are constantly exposed to these images and ideals. And although we don't actually talk about it all that much, they get inside our heads and then put steroid culture on top of that. Not many guys actually realize that the ideal body in their mind that they're actually shooting for is is not actually achievable within normal natural limits anyway. Like if we like, yeah, it's just this over time, the, the benchmark for what the ultimate man or what the solid, like good 
valuable man looks like, that benchmark has shifted. And we're constantly taking in this information, but without really realizing it. And so, so many of us try to hit those targets and live up to those ideals. But because we're not aware of a bunch of things like the, um, the prevalence or, the, or how common things like performance enhancing drugs are, no matter how hard we work, those results don't seem to come. So the bar for how much work we need to do in order to achieve the result just gets higher and higher and higher. And before we know it, people go from doing some healthy exercise and, and a moderate, intelligent diet. They go from that to experimenting with all these crazy diets and doing really intense workout programs in the name of actually hitting a target that the person who sold that image to didn't even achieve using diet and exercise alone. Yeah, I get that. Um so when you see things on so when I see things on TV and now we're a culture of where we like to see behind the scenes and we're showing a lot more of what goes on behind the scenes. And you see things like, you know, models and reality TV where you see them five or six minutes prior to going on camera, they're doing press ups or push ups and you know to making themselves look more defined. Do you think <laughs> that but but I, for me personally look yeah. at it and I think oh so that's why i mean how can somebody look like that all the time like it just doesn't make sense so yeah for me i think that that's that's a kind of a good thing because it's kind of like mm, okay i get it like, yeah and it more like that and then when you you know and when i was growing up you know action figures and and even mental degree there was a certain or a certain type that i looked at thinking that's what i needed to look like but my body didn't fit that mold yeah, because you know I've got long legs and I've got a short body and I've got long arms and you know I can't fucking grow air now. Um, you know all these little things, but you never take those into consideration because all you're doing is constantly trying to copy somebody that that you look at, thinking that that's what you got to look at look like. Yeah, absolutely. And also when it comes to the gym as well i mean my attitude to the gym has changed so much to when i first used to go to the gym it was you would i'd walk in there i'd be so self-conscious mm. because i would never take into consideration that those men in that gym were once like me walking into the gym for the first time yeah i just believe they just will beam down from some <laughs> other planet and they were there all the time and that's what they looked like and if I didn't come out looking or resembling anything like them, then I'd had a really shit workout. And that used to massively, massively impact me. Yeah. But it now I'm like, I very rarely go to the gym now anyway, because that kind of workout, is, my body's not used to it. You know, I'm mm -hmm. more of a, a yoga and um, resistance band man. You know, it's about looking after what I've got now. Yeah. Um, but do you see that working within that industry? Do you see that that mentality of men going into gyms with that? Oh my god! Yes, although not many guys will will straight up come out and say it. Most men experience some degree of anxiety walking into a gym, and the funny thing is that I've done my best to be really transparent about. Like I've been. I got my first job as a fitness instructor at 17 years old. I was essentially just working at the desk of, of the gym that my dad used to go to. Uh, I started going there with him when I was a teenager. And, and then, you know, the manager was just looking at me going in there all the time. And she said, well, you know, you may as well work here. So I was like, cool. And then, um, <laughs> and yeah. And so despite having essentially been in and out of commercial gyms as a professional or just whatever for the like almost 20 years now i still get nervous walking into a gym that i've never been into before like i still get nervous and this is so crazy and i would want anyone out there who's nervous or anxious about walking into a gym to hear this i'm a fucking strength and conditioning coach now i would still like if I walk into a gym that I didn't know, I would still get a little bit of a buzz on. I would still get some nerves. I would still be like, all right, let's get the feel for this place. What are these people like? How was I? Yeah. How's that going? Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, and especially if it's like a, um, I've 
done a, a little bit over the years, like on and off of things like Thai boxing or, or BJJ, like jujitsu or anything like that. Like, and walking into a, um, like a martial arts gym that you don't know is like terrifying. Like, you know, I've, I've trained with guys who were really great Thai boxers, you know, and, and they were nice enough to tell me that still after training for a few years, you know, these guys were, you know, intermediate, not super advanced guys. Cause the super advanced guys just like, yeah, whatever. But like, <laughs> you know, even someone who'd been training consistently for a couple of years, like those guys have openly said to me here and there that when they go to a new gym, they get a bit nervous and these are fighters for fuck's sake. It's, it's a very normal thing to get a little bit of a, of a buzz on when you kind of walk into a new gym space. It's so true because what's rattling about in my head now is like, this is my house, motherfucker. These are my <laughs> and that's what it's like when you go into a new gym. You're kind of like, all right, anybody there? <laughs> like, tumbleweed rolls past and it's like, what do you want? It's like, is this the gym? It's like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll come to use it. <laughs> yeah, it does, has that really terrifying kind of um, feeling that comes over you. You know, it really does. Um Okay, so I want to move kind of a little bit serious into eating disorders um, sure. and eating disorders in men. Um, so eating disorders in men, how do they, or of your knowledge, manifestations of them, how do they start? How Are men more, why don't men talk about eating disorders? Let's put it that way. For a start, because we believe that eating disorders are feminine okay we believe it's something that that women deal with not men but i believe the most common eating disorder amongst men is a binge eating disorder and the funny thing i use the word funny liberally by the way the, the funny thing about that is that so there is a lot of men's fitness culture out there that encourages binge eating in that kind of really gross way of saying, you know, this is your cheat day or, you know, there's a lot of masculine fitness stuff out there that encourages binge eating by calling it a cheat day or calling it a post-workout meal or calling it putting on mass or something like that. Just, you know, and it's become this weird, like, competition amongst guys with i can eat this much or i can eat that much or you know you put a bunch of guys around a table and there's almost like this unspoken thing like whoever orders the biggest meal somehow has the biggest dick and it's like eh, like and then really on a neurological level on a physical and neurological level everything like that and in a lot of ways that just trains the brain to expect to be overfed it trains the brain to expect exceptionally large meals so even with things like um intermittent fasting or the the one meal a day diet it and not to be like that doesn't mean that there's not some benefits to be found in intermittent fasting it's a it's a weird uh there's there's a lot to unpack there and i won't have time for that today but you essentially know. from a disordered eating perspective things like the one meal a day approach or intermittent fasting just train people to eat large volumes of food. So then our brain learns that that's the norm. That's what to expect. That's how we comfort ourselves. That's how we feed ourselves by eating these large amounts of food. For whatever reason, that message gets into our brain, whether it be a diet, whether it be kind of um, dick measuring when, when guys go out to dinner, uh, and then from there, once that programming is internalized, it, it can persist. It can persist and then lead further to things like binge eating disorder. But also binge eating disorder can come from deeper psychological um, issues that, you know, someone would benefit from, you know, therapy and that kind of thing. But then on the other side of the coin, sometimes binge eating disorder can develop just as a result of heavy calorie restriction due to dieting. So it, it's a, it's a really, it's a really dicey one because it's a disorder that can appear 
through any number of different causes and is often written off as just something that happens you know <laughs> but it, it's it's yeah. once we, once we cross a, th a certain threshold when it comes to the the size of these binges um then it, it becomes a an actual disorder so how do you become aware that maybe you have some sort of unhealthy relationship with food let's put it that way once a lot of guilt kind of enters the equation that's a bit of a red flag now most of us like people without an eating disorder um can feel guilty about overeating you know like you you go to a wedding or something with your mates and you get a bit too pissed and eat too much and wake up the next day and go oh god damn it i regret that a little bit that's very that happens every now and then yeah. to, to everybody and that's yeah. normal but yeah. um it becomes more of a problem when you start to be preoccupied with urges to eat you know you you there's many different things you might start eating alone like you might start eating large amounts of food alone where no one can see you like you know you might order the healthy meal at dinner with your friends and then leave and go home and stop at the service station on the way home and buy a 50 quid worth of treats and snacks and whatever and just eat those at home i say that because I, I used to do it like that was one of my when i was struggling with bulimia and binge eating that that used to happen but it's like the, the signs really start to involve things like hiding the amount that you want to be eating thoughts constantly preoccupied with food to the point where they distract you from work they distract you from just everyday life there's a certain amount of guilt involved you think ah, oh, fuck i've done it again uh primarily as well a big factor is feeling unable to stop once you right. start that is a big one there's a sense of control coming to it as well for some people, that's uh, for some people that's what it is. In a sense of control and gaining control, is is one of the first kind of things that, I, at least from from my work and the, the work that I've done, a sense of control is one of the first things that was really recognised about about disordered eating. So I've seen some cases now where people just assume that it's about control because that's what has been what what we've been told uh when control isn't really the main factor for some people it, it it's quite a three-dimensional equation now so control could be an element of it definitely mm -hmm. but for some people control might not even be a factor for some people control might be just one of several factors it's it's a very unique formula for everybody sometimes what are, what are some of the more highly obvious factors then obvious factors in terms of what causes it yeah i guess i'm speaking from the perspective of someone who's heavily involved in the fitness industry so my answer to this is going to be a little bit biased so in my work personally I see the largest or arguably the largest contributing factor being calorie restriction, being body dysmorphia, um, body image issues and calorie restriction. Okay. So though that that's just what I see a lot personally. So things coming from body image, um, calorie restriction and, and heavy dieting, uh, restrictive dieting, not just restricting calories, but restricting food groups. That's, that's what I see mostly personally, but again, I'm biased because that's my industry. And is that mainly coming from that perspective? Is that mainly because people want to look a certain way? You know, they want to either bulk up and be really kind of heavy or they want to be quite defined or is it, is it from that kind of way of looking at it? In the context that I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's guys worried about uh, body fat, being overweight, but at the same time, um, there's the whole 
what what people have started to call bigorexia. So the opposite of anorexia, guys like looking to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like yeah. that that's a factor as well, though disordered eating appears a little bit differently for them. Sure. Can we talk about you? Sure. What would you like to know? Can we Open talk about up. can we talk about bulimia in you? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was really shit um Mike, well, that's it yeah it wasn't um, fun so essentially um you and the the people listening you may have heard that expression or that phrase that you know like if you throw a frog into boiling water the frog's gonna freak out and jump out instantly but if you put a frog in cold water and slowly boil the water it will stay in the water and end up dying. Now, it's a horrible analogy because I always feel so bad for that poor frog. Um, but it's a great analogy in terms of how my bulimia manifested. My, like, I started off doing push-ups and sit-ups next to my bed uh, as a teenager, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't feel good about going to bed at night unless i'd done my i don't know 30 push-ups and 30 sit-ups you know that like when i was about 12 13 something like that and then from there it became uh like an experience with my school rowing team just getting a bit competitive amongst the other guys and and wanting to be you know in our a-level crew in my high school and you know, uh, starting off being put in like the D team and working my way, starting to train and, and being a bit competitive that way, uh, putting the rowing machine in the shed, getting my first couple of um, body composition tests, uh, which shouldn't have been given to a 14-year-old who was clearly developing some obsessive behaviors and habits in terms of food and exercise, but it happened nonetheless. Um, and from there the weight training and from the weight training came the quitting rowing and focusing entirely on the weight training. Um, from there, the, you know, it was looking at the magazines going, I still don't look like the guy on the cover of men's health. What's going wrong. I mustn't be training hard enough. I mustn't be strict enough with my diet. So from there, the calories dropped training volume went up and that created a, a situation where I was physiologically starving while overtraining and denying myself food. And that lasted a certain period of time before I was given a book or, or someone recommended a, a book that was written by a fitness model who in hindsight, now we know it's come out. He was using steroids. He was using performance enhancing drugs, but he released this book on, on how to, um, you know, build that physique leaving out the part that he was on steroids. This book is actually very famous and very readily available even now. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to poke the hornet's nest, but just as an interesting fact, it's very available still. And that book said, it, it introduced me to the, the concept of cheat days. So on a Sunday, it said literally word for word, if you want to have two Big Macs for lunch, go ahead. If you want to have whatever for whatever. And at that time, I'd been overtraining and starving for quite a while. So I thought, wow, this guy who's just massive and jacked is telling me that I can have one day a week where I eat whatever I want. Yeah. So that became a binge. So those Sundays then started to program that binge pattern, binge on Sunday, um, and then wake up on Monday morning, feel like absolute crap, feel guilty, feel terrible, feel physically and emotionally awful, and then restrict heavily um, throughout the week to try and make up for what I'd done. And then the cycle would repeat itself. But then once that cycle had repeated itself so many times, it became like a self-fueling engine. If I tried to go, I obviously realized that something was wrong. I'm like, I can't keep eating this much on a weekend. This is ridiculous. So I tried to stop. 
And then when I tried to stop, it was like thoughts about food would just drive me insane. It was like, like what people describe about trying to, to quit cigarettes or something like that. Like it would just, or, you know, even worse drugs sometimes. But so from there it was like, oh my God, I can't. So then the, the binges kept happening on those cheat days, even though I didn't want them to, because I was just losing, like couldn't focus. Um, from there, I started purging, started making myself vomit um, after those, those episodes to try and undo the damage that I'd done. And that cycle essentially persisted for many years because I was under the impression that that was just part of what it was to be a guy who was into fitness. There was no one, I didn't know anybody who set me to, to set me straight um, when I was a teenager and, and this process had really started to take hold. Uh, my mum my tried to get me to, to see a psychologist, but I went to see this psychologist and I just remember walking in there and sitting down and thinking, you've never walked into a gym in your entire fucking life. There is nothing about you that I admire or want to be like, so why the fuck? would I take advice from you? And I just sat there and was very unresponsive. Like, um, and that is actually one of the biggest challenges when it comes to dealing with these kind of things, especially in men, because a lot of the men experiencing it don't actually want help. Like a lot of the men experiencing it, you know, despite the stigma about therapy being what it is, you know, as a guy who was in that space, I remember going to see a therapist, but looking at him and thinking, well, what would you know about it? You look like you've never stepped into a gym in your life. Why would I listen to you? And so then I rejected therapy as any kind of solution and just the cycle continued. So on reflection, can you see how it started or why it started? I mean, was there a reason that, that it manifested it into to, to what it did? Or was that just you just taking it up, taking it up, taking it up? I guess, you know, like so many of us are insecure about our ourselves and our appearance as, as young boys, as young teenagers. It's a time when we're kind of trying to figure stuff out, um, trying to establish really in one way or another, how to turn ourselves into a valuable commodity, like how to make ourselves valuable. Cause we all want to be valued. We all want to be seen as someone who, yeah, is of, is of high value. And um, I guess, yeah, it's, uh, I was at the time, I guess I was under the impression that I, I wasn't very attractive. So I was like, all right, well, what can I change? What things can I change? I can't change my face because my face is my face. So I guess I can work on everything from the neck down and try and make up for it. And, and that was, that was a, a thought that I remember being very clear in my early teenage years, um, which was one of the things that got the ball rolling. And in one way or another, that thought persisted well into my 20s. So here's the thing, right? So this is what I'm hearing is that you said that you couldn't change your face. The one thing that is exposed to the world for everybody to see. But <laughs> the part of you that nobody sees is what you home in on and try to concentrate on. I would make sure that people saw it. Yeah. I just wanted to, I wanted to rather than go, did you take your clothes off or did you get your top off? I just wanted to kind of put it in a more in that kind of way. Um, and again, you know, being as open as you are, again, looking back on it, was it was maybe insecurity a driver for you? Of course. Most yeah. fitness professionals are fundamentally extremely insecure. <laughs> like it's not it's uh it it's almost part of your resume. Um <laughs> I love this conversation already. I so do, you know, because uh, you, you look at some of these books and you think, what oh, a dick, man. Come on, seriously. Like, do those shoes need to be that short? You know, does that t-shirt really need to be that tight? Why don't you just fucking walk around naked? We'll get a better look. Because it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it is that kind of thing. Not all, I have to caveat, not all. 
um, in that sense. So what kind of impact did that have on you mentally? It was it, one of the one of the biggest things that was kind of the thing that affected my life most was that it just made me not a very fun person to be around. Like I was constantly hungry and exhausted. So I was constantly irritable and moody. Hangry. Yeah. Yeah. I was constantly irritable and moody. And it's like, in a way, all those, all those efforts to, to change my physique at that time in my life were efforts to make myself more likable, more desirable. But in turn, I was making myself more moody, more kind of sullen and just um, more obsessive. But, and of course, those traits aren't traits that people sense and go, I want to hang out with that guy. Like, so, you know, so it was really, it was very isolating. Yeah. Exceptionally isolating. Uh, so from a, a mental health perspective, even when we talk about the, the effects that constantly disrupted sleep or, you know, constantly not getting quite enough sleep, constantly overtraining, um, constantly experiencing burnout, even those things, when we talk about the effects that they have on mental health, you know, they're going to warp your thoughts. You're not going to be yourself. And yeah, that, that's, that's, that's really what things were like for the better part of two decades. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, when you think of when it first started, I guess, about first really kind of kicked into gear about age of 14. And then uh, in my late twenties, I really started to properly get a handle on it. So yeah, about 15 years. So, you know, when you, so how, when did you, when was it given a name? When was it given a disorder? When was it gone? Okay. You are, you have this, you are suffering with that. Surprisingly late. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, yeah, because you you just think, oh well, uh, I guess once you once you're in that pattern, you think, oh, yeah, this is just part of of what it is to to be in the fitness world, especially because you're hanging out with a lot of other people who have eating disorders professionally, like. A lot of people who are fitness professionals are fitness professionals because any other career wouldn't facilitate their eating disorder and obsessive training habits. That's really think, interesting. Think about that for a second. That's really interesting. It there really are is. documented, um, yeah, there are documented cases of people like I, I read a case just the other day, exceptionally. Um, high-earning accountant over in the United States had one of his things was that he had to have a blender on his desk to blend protein shakes every 90 minutes and this guy was extremely professionally successful at, at his job um, his boss said look that blender is disrupting everyone's work every 90 minutes it's it's the blender or the job he chose to leave that job and go and work as a personal trainer. I've also heard personal trainers say that they don't think they'd be able to stick to their own programs, the programs that they give to their clients, if they didn't work in a gym. Wow. Okay, so I need to just ponder that for a little while. Yeah. Just to let that kind of process for a little while, because I'm 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 understanding quite a bit of that, but I'm also relating it to aspects of me as well in certain situations that you in what way because you move with a certain crowd depending on what you're doing mm. because you're speaking the same language regardless of what it is you're talking about do you understand what i mean yes. and so you tend to sit with that tribe because you don't have to explain yourself because they right get it. yeah very well summarized that's it yeah you know they make so you feel right, normal Yes, and yes, exactly that. So you normalize that. You normalize your behavior because what they're doing is is they're normalizing it for you because they're doing exactly the same. Yeah. And you just said about 
not being able to stick to something unless you're in that environment, I was like, okay, all right. And yeah. that's what I said to you, I process that for a second mm-hmm. um, in that kind of sense. And so now with you, with the work that you do, with the experience that you have, and obviously going through your own experiences, how do you then navigate your way away from that way of life, still being within that environment? Good question. The, the really overly simplified answer is mental clarity and being really disciplined mentally in terms of sorting out my own thoughts, being able to recognize which thoughts are coming from which places, which feelings, like it's taken a lot of work. And this is actually part of what I coach and part of what I do with people in, in our, in my one-to-one work is we, we learn to recognize which thoughts and feelings to trust and at what times of day, at what times of week, which thoughts we trust and which thoughts we know are just mental noise coming from a a place that is outdated one of your posts actually really struck me because you said don't believe anything you think just recently probably about five posts ago um the the first couple lines like don't believe anything you think and that's like we've got to be really clear like oh i have to be really clear about certain things in my own mind when i go to work i have to be reminding myself every day of what kind of results appear as the as the results of performance enhancing drugs what to expect as a natural athlete you know what to uh like just because someone else might be eating steamed chicken and boiled vegetables with no dressing in a tupperware container that's been meticulously measured out just because they're doing that that doesn't mean that that has any reflection on me or, or my level of progression as a coach or an individual or human or athlete or whatever. Like we have to be really, really on point with our ability to avoid comparison. Mm, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think, do you think then, but when, so do you think that people that are in certain roles, they go into that because they know what it's like on the other side. So I'll give you an example. So I became a life coach purely based on the fact that of the things that I went through and, mm-hmm. and how, how I then managed to kind of overcome those, but also connect with and talk about those in order for other people to understand them themselves. And so when people talk about what they're going through, there is already that understanding there because you'll use yourself as a, as, as, as a reference point. Okay. So I understand that because when I did this, even though it's they're similar, but our experiences are totally different. And so you're armed with that knowledge of your own that then helps that person with what they're going through. I, I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. Doing what I do is easier having been there yeah. uh, myself. It's, it's not like, It's not like I'm learning how to treat or treat is the wrong word. Treat is for doctors and I am not a doctor. Um, It's like I'm learning to work with disordered eating from a perspective, from a perspective of having been there and come out the other side of it. And I think that might be that blunder of mine then saying treat versus work with, that might be a really good clarification to make just for anyone listening that all these different, uh, eating disorders, whether we're talking about anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, orthorexia, any of those things, they exist on a spectrum. And on the, on the more severe end of the spectrum, usually uh, a combination of therapy and sometimes medication and coaching, a combination of all those things is required. Though where I work with most is if someone is in a really bad place to the point where they require medical attention, they'll work with a psychologist doctor as well as working with me. Uh, Or if someone's in a place where it's not a medical issue, 
but they're just experiencing this daily fucking misery and anxiety this daily like refrigerator noise level misery anxiety there's just like someone pissing in their cornflakes every morning that's what i really work with um with like primarily so i think that's a, a really important thing to clarify i know it's slightly deviated from the question but um it's an it's an important thing to make that depending on where you are on that scale mm -hmm. there's going to be different things different approaches that you can take but there is always a solution available and that was a very good point well made um because there are different points at what we are at yeah and we've got the support that we require um so i appreciate that thank you well it's um, um yeah yeah just, I, I mean it's it's something that I, I I feel the need to mention because sometimes when things are really, really bad, it becomes obvious that we need to seek help. But so many people, hundreds and thousands of men, maybe millions, I don't know, hundreds and thousands of men are not at that point where they feel like, okay, this is a medical issue or a serious psychological issue but they're just experiencing daily misery that's just detracting from their life. And that's, that's something that really breaks my heart when I hear about it, because for most of the time that I experienced eating disorders, that was what it was for me. I wasn't really like, there were a couple of times where I did require medical attention, but outside of that, the medical attention kind of got me back to the point of like, okay, this is survivable. Like it, you know, doable, but I was still miserable. And I would want anyone listening to this to know that you don't deserve to be miserable. Like you deserve to be happy and it doesn't need to be that way. I appreciate that. That is, that is so true. So, so true because, you know, we're all fucking important. You know, mm. we really, really are. And I think we do lose our way sometimes. Um, and all it takes is just for that one person just to knock us back on track and, yeah. and, and it's okay. Um, I think for men, for, for, for the men that I that I speak to, work with, it's not giving themselves permission to talk because they've been told for so long yes. that you're not supposed to talk about those things. And that is bollocks. And that's what's pretty much putting men in early graves because yes. they're believing... I can't say this and it's just about giving ourselves permission it really is you know once we give ourselves permission then god the possibilities are endless like they really really are so true so mm. true yeah um what else was i going to talk to you about so how are you i'm very well i mean <laughs> considering the pandemic and everything like that like it's funny when when people ask how you're going i'm like well professionally my two options are health and fitness industry and music industry. And both those industry were royally fucked over the last. <laughs> so, it's, uh, um, so yeah, but I've, I've had to, it, it's forced some personal growth in terms of my approach to business. It's forced me to uh, create an online element to my business where, where people can have zoom uh, coaching with me and, and everything like that, which just means that I'm accessible from all over the world, which that that's really cool. And it's, yeah, that that's actually been a, a really great thing that's happened over the last kind of 18 months, I guess. Um, we got a new puppy uh, about two months ago. So Ooh. he is just a bundle of joy. I just love him so much. It's ridiculous. Is there uh, loads of pisses and poops? Uh, no, not anymore. He his first month was a bit um, was a bit of a disaster, but he's <laughs> um, yeah he's a he's a Belgian Malinois. So he's like um, like one of the dogs like that the military use. Like looks like a more athletically built German Shepherd, I guess. So he's, he's really clever. We've been able to uh, teach him different stuff. And my Instagram has become just dog spam most of the time now uh, between useful uh, bits of information. 
I'm not gonna lie. I've seen, I've seen him, and he's he's like cuteness personified. You know. What I mean? Oh my god! Yeah. So that like things are going well. Um, yeah, my my partner's doing coaching from home as well. Like she's doing really well. Um, How do you find for you personally? Now you've kind of taken part of it online. How do you find that? Do you prefer that, or do you actually prefer the kind of you know being in someone else's energy? Working with nutrition online is an absolute blessing because we don't have the distraction of the gym. Uh, so that is, is amazing. But if someone does want to do some strength and conditioning work with me, if I'm say teaching someone a deadlift or, you know, working over the finer points of, of uh, strength and conditioning training, I really like to be in someone's space and I'm very tactile or like, push and adjust and pull and whatever like you know make yeah. make sure like um yeah i like to be in someone's space if i'm training them in, in in terms of strength and conditioning stuff which has been difficult because yeah not not to have that tool but as far as nutrition is concerned being in a gym environment and trying to have conversations about nutrition you know conversations that are a little bit more personal and a little bit quieter that was a big obstacle. So I've found that the people who've come to me to do nutrition work via Zoom are getting great results because there's no distractions. You know, we're not talking about nutrition between sets, you know, like it's dedicated time to actually really get into it and talk about what needs to be talked about and find solutions. Okay, so why literally just lost you into dalek mode for a second yeah right you've come back now you've come Alrighty. back already <laughs> so here's a question so within the pandemic was there did you did any of your old thoughts or behaviors kick in yeah yeah it was during the pandemic um the pandemic really opened the door to the binge eating side of things Right. I didn't, you know, I didn't fall back into having an actual problem, but I did notice that during those first few lockdowns, you know, when we weren't going out as much, everyone was just at home watching Netflix and eating food. Like a couple of times I had to notice myself and go, huh? Like a couple of times I felt really compelled to, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd eat something that was nice and then think, Oh, why don't I just just go to the corner shop and just get and just get more? Um, and I that was a red flag to me. I was like, "Huh, isn't that interesting that that has come back?" Uh, so, yeah, it was it was very manageable just because of the the skills and practices that that I've implemented. Yeah. But those things definitely knocked on the door for sure. And did it? Did did you notice more about the way that you managed it yourself because you was a lot more aware of it? Yeah, it's all about management. Yeah, These yeah. things, they never, you know, saying that they will go away completely is a slightly odd statement because you know it's like having the volume turned from ten down to zero point five. You know, that's the thing. Like, you might get a whisper of something that is an outdated thought, but you know, it's, it's like someone tapping you on the shoulder versus someone smacking you with a baseball bat. Like it, it just becomes, they become these thoughts. Like when you manage them well and you manage them consistently with a very specific method over time, it just becomes like this, just a whisper that happens every now and then. And you can notice it and go, huh, I remember that anyway, moving right along. Mm, yeah i totally agree it's, it's something i say to my clients is that you can't unlearn what you know but you can replace it but just be aware that it's still there mm. you know what mm. i mean marcus um i have taken a lot away from this there's a lot more that i want to talk to you about but we'll do that in another podcast or maybe three or four because we didn't even go into the music side of it but i wanted to kind <laughs> of concentrate specifically on this because as i said to you i think it's really really important that you know, we have kind of as much of an open dialogue as possible because it, it kind of affects all of us in one way, shape or form mm. because it is habits. It is a reaction. It is a behavior. 
that can be of something that's happened before that makes us do something and it makes us kind of react in certain ways and food is such a disposable thing of so not disposable yeah disposable but also it's something that's, that can be reached for so easily you know it's, it's all around us mm-hmm. you know we live within a consumer society that you know we can take the pick of whatever's on the high street and that's just on one side of the road yeah you know you've got to come back up the other side yet yeah. so, yeah. so you, you know in that kind of sense you know gone are the days where like you'd have a chip shop and an off license on the corner of the shop when i grew up whereas yeah. now it's like you know you've got so many different things to choose from yeah. um marcus you're a legend mate you really are and thank you uh, so much <laughs> i think i've got a new friend yeah likewise it's been really nice chatting with you and thank you so much for having me on the podcast you're welcome where can people find you Best place right now is my Instagram, Coaching. So that's M-K-A-I-N coaching. And yeah, just reach out to me through there. I'm there all the time. And yeah, I'm not going to complicate it with too many other options, but anything that you want to know, anything that's happening, any news, contact details, it'll all go through there. And don't you have something coming out on the 1st of July? I've got uh, my own podcast, yes, coming out this this coming week thank you for the for the reminder yes um the the first episode right now is just being approved by by the ghost of steve, of steve jobs and that should all be be ready to go whether that will be on the first or whether by the time apple gives it the green light uh whether that will be maybe at the end of next week I, i'm not sure but that's that's going to be out within the next couple of weeks and what's it called I just, <laughs> terrible, <laughs> just terrible at promoting myself. Uh, it's You're just called. Shit. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's just called the MK Coaching Podcast. I've just kept it really simple, just so that people see it, know exactly what it is, know that it's me, and know they're going to hear more of this kind of business. Perfect, Marcus. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much, Lee. I appreciate you, mate. And thank you for all the amazing questions. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's episode of Struggling Mind Podcast. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, please reach out. You can also find some useful links in the bio. It would be amazing if you can subscribe, review and rate the podcast as well, because any feedback is welcome. Stay safe and be kind to each other.